Well, good morning, Awakening Church. This is a special day as we finish out a series we've been in, but this series has to do all about what you just saw. We are part of a worldwide church, people worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, and today you get to do this. As A.W. Tozer said in that video at the beginning, so the purpose of Christ in redemption was not to save us from hell primarily, but it was to save us unto worship, that we might become again the worshipers of the living God. People from every language, tribe, and nation, today on Sunday around the world, have been worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Centuries after he here was here through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And we get to come together in corporate worship. We had a great 9 a.m. on-site service and would love to see you there if you're able to make it out each week. But I'm glad that you're here at 10 a.m. online. And whether you're gathered in a living room or you're listening privately, maybe on an iPhone, I want you to attune your heart to worshiping God. So grateful for Joe and the team leading us in the spirit of worship. The Lord is great. And when we recalibrate on a Sunday morning our lives to be able to sit before the throne of God, there's something that changes in our hearts, even the very energy that we have. Because God did make you and I to be worshipers of Him. And the redemption of Christ was not just to forgive us of our sins or to save us for an eternal life with Him, but it was to make us again worshipers of the Most High God. It's in your DNA as we're going to look at today. We're going to finish out today a series that we've been in over these weeks. The series has to do with uncommon practices for greater life impact. And today's concluding uncommon practice is the uncommon practice of corporate worship. Now, I would have never thought when I was doing a, a series on spiritual disciplines or, or spiritual practices to, to be able to strengthen our lives spiritually that I would include corporate worship as an uncommon practice. But in these six months of the COVID journey, the ability to gather together corporately to lift up worship has sort of been tabled, and it is an uncommon thing for us to be able to gather. I believe, hopefully, maybe even this week, some things might change in our county, and we're able to be back in inside on-site worship this next week. So just always stay abreast on social media and so forth, because if it gets changed, we're back. But the ability for us to come back into a large inside, on-site gathering of worship is dependent upon us and our hearts of worship and how God is working through our life. The uncommon practice of corporate worship is, is now one of the additions of what we've been going through. And just as to a, a bit of a review, the uh, Up Your Game series has given you some varied practices, not for you to be able to say, hey, look at me, I'm a great Christian because I do those things. No, they're for the purpose of you being able to play the game and to up your game as a Christ follower. Even if you are just a seeker of God and have never crossed that line of faith and committed to being a follower of Christ, the idea that these, un these practices that we've been presenting are not for you is false because these practices can draw you to an understanding of God more. And so up your game. We finish it out today. It's been a joy to be in it this summer. But we've walked through these disciplines, these practices, 
And just as a review authoritative prayer, we talked about how not to have wimpy prayers, but to take the power that God has in the universe and exercise it through the authority He's given us to pray, specifically pray and empower other people. Memorize Scripture, taking the Word of God and hiding it in our heart. We need to know truth in a world that's filled with all kinds of uh, deception and lies and, and uh, not very good clarity on what's important. Memorized Scripture helps paint the interior walls of our life and our mind so that we can live for Him and able to give good counsel even to others. Silent solitude. We looked at Jesus. Now, Jesus abounded into ministry, but before He would abound in ministry, He would abide with His Father. And so the idea of abiding in solitude and withdrawing in private places to hear from God, to worship God, to pray to God is needed for us to abound in the work of our week whether it's in being able to steward well the lives in our family or at work, or to be able to encourage others. Abiding, abounding, trustworthy tithing. We talked about this whole aspect of, oh my goodness, the money thing, you know, you're going to go there, that kind of thing. No, the tithe was the historical biblical standard, which meant 10%, tithe equals 10, that people gave to God as an offering because of their worship and their heart to serve Him. And we today, whether it's the tithe or beyond or as God leads, you are called to entrust a tithe, 10% of your income to God as an act of worship, but it also helps you defeat the tyrant of materialism and pressure to think that you are in charge of all things. Your provisions in life have all been given from God. And that discipline of even when we say sometimes to text the word awakening to the number 77977 on the line. We've been doing this much more to say, hey, just give to the Lord and the Lord's work and establish it as a monthly amount or a weekly amount, whatever it is. And that discipline's needed because then left into ourselves, we want to trust other things rather than trusting God. Active witness. We talked about how your story can impact other stories. Your story about how God's transformed your life. And so you listen to their story. Then you share your story, and then you point them to God's story. And in that, you become an ambassador, a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, the hope that we have through what Christ has done to change and transform our lives. And then last week, we looked at authentic community, the need for us to be in community, one with another. We are made as relational beings. And part of the journey of COVID that's been hard is the, you know, being able to, having to be cut apart from people, not interact. You and I were called to sharpen one another, as Scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We're called together in community. We encourage you to be a part of a life group and a small group or a study that you're a part of, whether with this church or in some other dimension, because you are called to love and be loved, to know and to be known, to serve and uh, to be served, to celebrate and be celebrated. So that was a great journey last week. We encourage the same this week. And now we're going to talk about corporate worship. Some of you have asked me, well, there's a bunch of other disciplines. Are you going to touch on those? Well, not at this time. Maybe we'll come back in some other uh, series and touch on them. But things like reflective journaling, purposeful fasting, weekly Sabbath, scriptural study, lifestyle simplicity, personal confession, sacrificial service. There's all kinds of spiritual disciplines or uncommon practices that can be a part of what I want to refer to as a spiritual formation plan. What's your plan? How are you going to up your game? How are you going to find yourself 
growing in Christ's likeness and being empowered to serve the Lord. Because when you stand up to bat or you get out there and uh, they call for the kickoff, that's not the time to try to get your act together. We are in planning and preparation and disciplined lifestyles so that we can live for Christ well and serve his purposes to up your game. But today I want to focus on this uncommon practice of corporate worship. Would have never thought that it made the list. But I also know that many people show up for worship in a corporate community setting that really don't experience the value of that corporate worship, and they do not find themselves uh, taking the uncommon practice and letting it lift their spirits and lift their life and up their game. You know, it was interesting. Uh, in my younger years, I had... Uh, a switch of churches when I was a junior in high school. My parents changed churches. They felt it was the best for us. It had to do with uh, youth ministry some and some other things that were, this church was closer. I'm so grateful they did. If they had not made that church, I would not have encountered somebody that was instrumental in my life in this uncommon practice of corporate worship. There was a youth pastor and young adult uh, leader that I worked with, and he came and he brought to the ministry of that church and to the youth and the young adults that I served in for a period of years, a heart of worship. And he unpacked that in beautiful and incredible ways. It wasn't that we just gathered as a youth group, uh, but we gathered with the purpose of worshiping God. And it wasn't just that he was a great singer or he could play a great keyboard, but we would be gathered around a baby grand piano, sometimes in his home, sometimes at uh, the church itself and the youth center that we were a part of. And I remember in particular when we went to a youth camp and a lot of us were there and as he would sit and he would play and we'd worship God. He wasn't only a great musician and a great singer and a solid believer. He had a heart of worship. And sometimes they say more is caught than taught. I believe it's true with this discipline of corporate worship. When you're in environments where other people are worshiping, God is able to do something instrumentally in your life to be able to quicken your heart and become what God called you to be and then allow worship, as we're going to see, to come back and speak value and worth in your own life. I am um, interested in knowing if you know what your purpose in life is. If you know what, as the Westminster Catechism says, what's the chief end of man? The Westminster Catechism is a, is a list of doctrinal statements, propositional truths that was placed together a number of years ago, and they positioned questions, and then they would answer them. And question number one in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is this. What is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now maybe you thought your chief end this week was just to survive. Maybe you thought it was to pay your bills. Maybe you thought it was uh, to be able to please your boss. Maybe you thought it was just to get along with your family. Maybe you thought it was to uh, horsepower up and maybe pu uh, push out on a business that you've started or take another initiative or a workout plan that you're trying to do. Well, friends, we are made in the image of God as human beings. And God determined that our chief end was to be able to bring glory to Him and to enjoy His presence forever. I like this because it's not just this aspect of worshiping and giving God glory, but 
us enjoying life with Him. So you see, God, when He comes to you and He asks you to give your life to Him, He's not going to come and squash you and make you do something that you don't want to do or find yourself in a predicament that is limiting to who He made you to be. He's making you fully alive, and He's asking, I want you to become everything I called you to be, and I called you to bring me glory, and I called you to be able to enjoy my presence and my pleasure forever. And so it doesn't matter what kind of week you've had. Maybe you've had a really bad week. Maybe you've had a pretty decent week. I don't know. Maybe this COVID journey is really wearing on you. Even still, it sort of feels like Groundhog Day every morning you wake up, right? I tell you what, every day we can fulfill this chief end of why God's made us as men and women and children and students. And that is to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. Let me give some definition on this whole term of worship. Worship literally means worthiness or giving worth-ship and allegiance to someone or something. Now, when you see the word worship, take those first three letters and then think worth-ship. So am I worshiping now or am I just going through the routines? Am I just sort of uh, mind-numbingly watching this online stream of Pastor Carey pontificate words and yeah, that's nice that it's the last uh, message in the series, but I'm looking forward to dinner, and I hope somebody turns the stove off, and all your mind's distracted, right? Stop. Stop right where you are. Are you worshiping God by giving Him worship during this moment and this time that you've paused? I trust so. You see, all of us worship. All of us worship someone or something. Now, it may be that you worship some standard of lifestyle that you would like to, to, like to have and possess. Maybe you worship an individual. Maybe you're pursuing a relationship. And all you can think about is that incredible person that you want to connect with, right? Maybe uh, you uh, are caught up in some type of celebrity worship. That happens with people, whether it's somebody that's famous or popular. Maybe you're caught up in worshiping a cause in one sense. Well, I, I, this is so important, or this, this needs to be expounded upon. Or maybe politics has become, in one sense, some worship to you, which is not good, right? And so we can all identify with worshiping something because we're giving allegiance to something. Even if we're giving allegiance to nothing, that's something we think we're giving it to. It's just leisure. I just don't want to be bothered by anything. I want peace and quiet. Well, that's what you're worshiping, right? We were all wired to worship in one sense. As the old Bob Dylan song, you got to serve somebody, right? There, there, there's no way to stay neutral in it. Just like there's no way to have a neutral uh, lack of religion or faith, you know, even atheists worship the idea that there is no God and that human beings are the essence of ultimate uh, kind of value. So all of us worship something. We give worth to something. Now, Christian worship is specifically ascribing worth to the almighty triune God in a multiplicity of ways through actions, words, and obedience. Now, I say the almighty triune God because uh, there are other religions that worship one God. Judaism and Islam both worship one God, right? And uh, Judaism is, is a part of uh, our uh, foundation as Christians and a kindred spirit uh, with Jews and, and the worship of Yahweh, of certainly the one true God. 
But Judaism doesn't believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, God himself come in the flesh. Definitely Islam doesn't believe that, and Islam thinks it's abhorrent that we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We believe three in one, a triune God. I know that's a big subject to go off on there. But our worship as Christians, our Christian worship, is worshiping the almighty triune God. And we do it in a multiplicity of ways. And you have ways and I have ways in which we worship. And we need to expound those ways, be creative, I think, expand on those ways to be able to give worship to God. Corporate worship, then, is bringing adoration to God in a community of believers in Jesus Christ. Now, we were able to do that at the 9 a.m. service, and there's a few here scattered for 10 a.m., which is great, uh, tech people and others supporting us. But we are in community in this big open room, and when Joe and the team was leading worship, we were doing that in a communal experience. So corporate worship is ascribing worship to the triune God in a multiplicity of ways with other people. This is what we've been deprived of a lot in the last six months. And I believe when you deprive yourself of corporate worship, there's something that sort of shrivels and, and dies and, and goes away within you. Because we were made for worship, but we were made for corporate worship, ascribing worth and giving glory to God in a community of people. And that's why I'm so grateful in some of those early years, I caught it. It wasn't just being taught, I caught it. And when I was with others, young adults and students and either other adult leaders, we would worship God. And something sparked in my heart, say, that's what I want. That's what I was made for, not only in this life, but in the life to come, forever and ever. This goes back, friends, not only centuries, but millennium. All the way back to the Garden of Eden, where God called us to be worshipers of God again. But he picked his Israelites, and his Israelites were supposed to find their way through to be able to be worshipers of him. And there was challenge and struggle in doing that. But if you ever turn, if you want some means of giving worship uh, in, in a creative kind of way, I want to encourage you to go in your scriptures to the book of Psalms, and in particular, just look at the songs of ascent in Psalm 120 through 134. These are 15 psalms that are recorded that they believe were songs that were sung by the Israelites as they were moving their way through the valleys and uh, uh, neighboring villages and towns and making their way to Jerusalem where the temple was to worship God. And as they went there to worship God in the tabernacle and the tent and stuff, they would ascribe to God worth. Their lives were broken in different places. And the songs of ascent were them singing, them declaring in a corporate manner God's worthiness. Now, we don't have the time to, to jump in and walk through a lot of them, but just let me read a couple of them to you. Psalm 121 says this, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Can you picture them walking their way up, maybe to Santa Rosa Plateau out here, up into the hill areas of uh, 
uh, the western part of Temecula Valley, and you would find uh, that is a difficult journey. But he's saying, hey, you're not going to let my foot slip, and, and you're going to protect me and take care of me. Psalm 122, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord, because that's where they were going. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. There is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. And then Psalm 123, I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in the heaven, as the eyes of the slave look to the hand of the master and the eyes of the female slave look to the hand of the mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us mercy. The songs of ascent were corporate worship. How do you worship? We spend time today by coming together and we sing a block of songs. We, we spend time in prayer. And Jesus, he has promised to be in our midst whenever two or three are gathered. And Jesus calls us to this corporate worship. But when we come together, we don't just sit around and try to figure out, well, what's next, or where do we go, or do I know that song, or Carrie doesn't seem to be on it very well today. Our minds aren't supposed to be about what necessarily we're doing with our worship. It's who we are and whose we, who we are giving worship to. So we are called into a place of worship. And these people came together in the olden days to be able to worship Him. I love this definition of worship given by William Temple, Archbishop William Temple. He uh, uses some magnificent kind of language to show the all-embracingness of it. He says, Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of mind with His truth, the purifying of imagination by His beauty, the opening of the heart to His love, the surrender of the will to His purpose, all this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of what our nature is capable of. Don't you like that? You come back and dwell upon that definition. It's rich and it's deep because our worship in our hearts is to be broad and embracing. And when we come together, there's different aspects and dynamics to make it beautiful, deeper, and richer still. I want to exhort us this way, though. Private worship feeds corporate worship. Private worship feeds corporate worship. The more time I spend in private worship throughout the week, the more robust my corporate worship experience will be on a Sunday. Friends, I know that Sunday morning can be one of the most uh, unholy, godless kind of stressing moments to get out of bed, to get kids ready, to, to get your life turned and focused after a hard week of work maybe, and come to a place of corporate worship. I understand that. And a lot of times we'll walk into a worship service and our mind's far from it. We're just glad we're in the building and, and uh, you know, we're glad to be able to you know, uh, get maybe a snack or something and we sit down and the band's already maybe into one or two songs. This happens to me all the time, especially when we're doing logistics like trying to do an on-site and online and the services and all that's going on. And I'm like, where is my head at? Is my head in the game or not? What game? The game of real, genuine worship. 
Or am I just going through the motions? But what I find is if I've spent the week giving God glory and spending time in His pleasure and His presence, then when I come in on a Sunday morning, even if the morning is a little bit stressful, I find that I can attune my heart to corporate worship with others more readily. And I want to encourage you that one of the uncommon practices that needs to be a part of your daily life is private worship. Maybe it's getting away for a half an hour to pray and to sing a song or just to meditate on one of the psalms that are listed there. Maybe it's to just sit in silence and, and, and let God speak to you from His creation around you. But worship is what you were made for. Why did you just spend the whole week not getting there? It's the chief end of mankind, right? Find yourself in a place of private worship. And I tell you what, when we come back together for corporate worship, we don't go to the temple, we bring the temple with us. There is energy and there is enthusiasm. Why? Because we've been found in the presence of Lord. And even though we've had up and down weeks or feeling good, not feeling good, when we come, we realign our thinking and we go, this is what I was made for. God, you are worthy to receive our honor and praise. Great are you, Lord. Sometimes to discipline myself, I just put my hands up, even though I don't feel like putting my hands up. And I say, Lord, I want to receive from you a vision of, of your beauty, of your holiness, of your goodness. I want you to realign my will. All those things that was just in William Temple's definition of worship. And I say, I want you to pour into me as I want to pour back to you. We've not had corporate worship much in these months. And there's something missing. But I know when we come back together, and maybe it's next week, the week after, in this big room, I pray that we will come back with people who have been worshiping God in our family, in the privateness of our heart. And there will be, indeed, great celebration, not because of the wow factor of the band or how great a message was, but because our hearts are prepared to do that for which we were called to do. And when we come together for corporate worship, God works in some amazing ways in our own heart and lives. I like what Martin Luther said about this many years ago. He said, at home in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. Have you experienced that? And maybe it's the community of seeing one another and just the handshakes and the encouragement. Maybe it's the song. Maybe it's the word that's spoken. But there's something about where two or three are gathered that Christ is in our midst that warms and strengthens and invigorates our heart. This is the frustrating thing with me with the whole COVID journey because churches, in one sense, have been seen as just another spectator sport. It's not. It's a community. It's a body of believers. We're a worshiping gathering, and there's healing and wholesomeness that's in that as we give worth to God. And so being ostracized, cut off from worship, is detrimental to the very, not just psyche, the soul of every human being especially those who are called to be Christ followers. We are called to worship. In Isaiah 6, there was this vision that was caught by the prophet. He said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. 
and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook like the earthquake we had this week a little bit, some of the tremor. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, Isaiah cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The prophet Isaiah saw the corporate worship of heaven with the angels, and he was awestruck. Not only was he awestruck, but he fell and he would cry out, Who am I? I'm an unclean person of unclean people. Oh my goodness, his eyes had seen the Lord God, the King Almighty. That vision of Isaiah 6 is a vision that some of those who are loved ones in your life who are Christ followers are experiencing this very hour, who have moved on from this life to the next. Ten seconds after you pass away, you will know there is a different realm. But that realm of the heavenlies is something we bring in and we participate in some small measure way in our corporate gatherings today. To worship God. Worship comes not only from those that are being challenged here this morning to worship corporately, but worship comes from heaven. Worship comes from His angels. In Revelation 4.8, it says about His angels, they're actually the four living creatures. They declared, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You got the vision on Isaiah. You got this vision in Revelation at the end time or what's going on. What's it all about? Worship. If you don't like worship, you're in trouble for eternity if you're a Christ follower. Because that's who we're made to be. And it's not that it's going to be boring, it's going to be full, and it's going to be rich, and God has things for us and plans for us throughout all of eternity to me as we're co-heirs with Christ. But as we're co-heirs with Christ, it's not about us, it's about Him, it's about God Almighty. And the four living creatures, they declared, this is our destiny, this is our future. It was true of Isaiah in his time, and it was true of David and all those who came before him. I want us to be encouraged in this way that you are not alone in your worship. The heavenly realms. Every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, it says in the epistles. But it's not just the heavens. It's His creation. Psalm 19.1 The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Creation cries out. Scripture says if we don't worship, even the rocks will cry out. You ever gone outside on a beautiful starlit night and go, Wow, God! That's creation worshiping. The beauty. He's placed it there for our wonder and our amazement. Maybe you see it in the, in, in the jubilant life of a young child bouncing around and playing and your heart's just so endeared and you go, Wow! The beauty of God created human beings and my little boy or my little girl. That's worshiping God for His creation. The heavens worship, the angels worship, creation worship, but we His people are called to worship. And I mentioned King David. David and the Ark of the Covenant were being brought 
to Jerusalem for the very first time. David took the place of Saul, was king, the golden era of Israel. He gathered people as they ascended maybe to Jerusalem, and he declared to them what they need to be doing because God's people need to be worshiping. And he said this, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared among all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens, and splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and joy are in His dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Can you just see David telling these people, Hey, look at the beauty of God. He helped us defeat the enemy. He's given us this beautiful promised land. He's given us a place here in Jerusalem to worship Him. And we prepared this tent, it was at that time, for the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God and had the Ten Commandments in it and, and, and the manna from the desert and all the memories they had of God's protection. And they worship God's presence and the power of His glory. And he was telling them, hey, hey, wake up. Don't be just meandering around. We need to ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families and nations, his glory and his strength. Tremble before him, all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The heavens, the angels, the earth, all of creation, and all the nations, the people. God is worthy to be praised. Now, I want you to know, in all this, this is not a pep rally to finish off this series. This It's not even a pastoral request. This is a brother in the faith request. Will you make worship the center point of your life? For all else that's going on, will you reestablish giving God the glory even if you're in the pain of a valley experience? God's with you. It says that in Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You can worship wherever you're at. And I also then want to make a challenge to you as a sojourner in the faith and as pastor that we regather for corporate worship in these coming weeks. It's been great to see some showing up at 9 a.m. I know that's a challenge, a little bit earlier, outside some, that kind of thing. I believe we're within a few days, maybe weeks, of us being able to come back together for corporate worship. If you need to stay online and watch it by live stream from your home, that's totally fine. I understand safety protocols and the needs for that. But we've established social distancing, encouragement of wearing masks, the cleanliness of facility, all those safeguards so that we can come back and have this beautiful experience again of corporate worship. And so I pray and I trust you will be able 
to join us. Stay abreast of social media. We'll let you know. But maybe it's in your life group. Maybe it's with your family. You can have corporate worship and other experiences, but there's something about a larger, extended, diversified body coming together to worship Him. You know, uh, there's a lot of question as if people are going to come back to church after COVID. Some say that a third of the people won't come back. Some are going to stay watching online. Then there'll be the faithful that, that maybe want to be there. I don't know how all that worked out. It doesn't, you know, I, there's no win that I get by filling up a room with bodies. But I'm called to lead us as a primary worship leader, and I'm calling us back as a community to worship together in His fellowship. The encouragement of one another, but lifting up our praise to Him, seeking out His truth in God's Word. And as we prepare to come back for corporate worship, I want you to exercise your worship muscles in private and strengthen them so that we don't come back all despondent. Well, that was tough. I'm glad we're back. But we come back full of joy and enthusiasm in the Holy Spirit for all that He's doing and has done. I want to encourage you maybe to even read about worship. There's a book by Louis Giglio, who is pastor of Passion Church in Atlanta. A few years ago, he wrote a book called The Air I Breathe, Worship as a Way of Life. And uh, I want to share with you something he mentioned in that book here briefly, but I encourage you to spend time, whether it's reading God's Word on some prayer walks, uh, singing, whatever it may be, reading some books on worship, strengthen your private worship so that when we have this corporate worship gathering, we'll be strong. But corporate worship is what we're called to. And we're called to give glory to God. But this is what I want you to know in closing. There's something about corporate worship that's going to give back to you. It's not the reason you do it, or I do it, but it's going to give back to you an incredible measure. In this work, Louis says this, God knows who He is. He knows knows what He's worth. And He knows the best thing He can give us is Himself. So in calling us to prize Him above all else, God is both gaining the praise that is rightfully His alone and causing us to gain the greatest treasure we will ever know. God is not an egotist seeking more than He deserves from us. Rather, He is God choosing in worship to reward us with Himself. When we worship, this is what I caught when I was younger, when we worship, I'm doing what He made me for, my chief end, to glorify God and enjoy His presence forever. But in worship, not only is God gaining worth and value from us, but we are gaining something you can't find anywhere. We are gaining Him. Himself. And my friends, you and I need that. Our world needs that. They need God. Eugene Peterson said this, worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in the act of worship. When God gives Himself in corporate worship, 
feelings will come. It's not the feelings that we seek, but the joy of His presence and the meaning of what we were made for comes to life. May you practice the uncommon practice of corporate worship in these coming weeks. And may we regather as the awakening church to become fully alive in Christ and to His mission. Lord Jesus, in these moments as we pray, I pray that You would seal this series, that You would also seal this practice of uncommon worship in the hearts of each of us. Even if we're not a part of this church and we're watching from some other site and some other state or even around the world, Lord, may we participate with other believers as we are able to give You the worth and the honor and the glory that to do You. Lord, You gained from us that which You desired, not because You were empty and needed something or because You were an egotist, but because this is how You created Your human beings to be in vibrant worship. And Lord, as You gain worship from us, as we ascribe it to You, Lord, may You give us Yourself. And even if we're flat and dulled, may we worship You and may You quicken our hearts for us to become alive in You.